it's, it's, not, it's not about trying to hype you up. It's just, if I'm honest, it's about us giving the worship that the King of Kings deserves. It's about us with all of our souls, with all of our bodies glorifying him. And sometimes, sometimes I just need a bit of encouragement. Sometimes I just need a little bit of a, a nudge. I can remember, I'm sure some of you will have heard this story before, but I can remember as a teenager, and we would have been a bit more exuberant than we are these days. We're, we're, we're quite, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reserve these days. I mean, compared to the old days. Um, but but I, can remember, I can remember certain members of the congregation are still here, and hopefully you'll wriggle in your seats even as I'm saying this, who would have come up to me in the worship and given me a bit of a jab in the side and encouraged me to be a bit more exuberant. Can you imagine if someone did that in the worship these days? But you know what? It helped me. Because I wanted to be a bit more exuberant, but I, I, I felt a bit like I a bit constrained, and so a bit of friendly encouragement did me the world of good. So do feel free to encourage one another, do you know what I mean, if you, if you want to in the worship. And sometimes, you know, what, what, what are we singing? This is the art of celebration. We're free from condemnation. Praise the Lord. Praise one who's given us life. We are singing it to God, but slightly we're singing it to ourselves. Slightly we're singing it to one another. We're encouraging one another. The king that we worship is worthy. So let's, let's, let's tell him how worthy he is. And, and I know often we don't do that, you know, in our own times with God. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's, this is just like the warm-up act for heaven. You know, we've got quite a few jumps if we're going to be ready for when we get to glory. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, it's going to be exuberant. It's going to be amazing. Anyway. Anyway, on with what I'm supposed to be talking about um, and, and, uh, and the preach and all of that sort of stuff. Um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's where we're going to be parking ourselves um, for the preach. In, in the Hastings prayer meeting, um, uh, which happens at quarter to nine um, here in the building every Sunday morning, a um, couple of weeks ago, Dave Lyons uh, brought this Bible verse. It's, it's not in Romans 12, but I was just getting you to do that so I could sort myself out. Um, Psalm 18, verse 28, for it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. Now just, just pause for a moment. The Lord, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. And there are some of you here today and you feel that you're walking through a really dark, difficult place. It is God who lightens our darkness. And I believe even as I'm preaching this morning, as I'm sharing stuff with you this morning, there will be glimmers of light starting to shine in the darkness. And what you need to do is grab hold of them. You need to believe them. You need to believe they are true for you. Whatever your feelings say, whatever your circumstances may shout, it is the Lord my God who lightens my darkness. And I do believe there's something for us in there. Now, over the last few weeks, I believe God has been giving us keys um, 
that, that if we want to grow in maturity, if we want to step into fruitful living, if we understand these keys and we put them into practice, they will make a real difference in our lives. The uh, first key that we gave was the whole one of knowing, understanding, and handling our emotions well. That if you want to step into a fruitful life, actually understanding our emotions and handling them in a godly way is really, really important. Another one that we got last week um, from John Groves was that whole area of forgiveness. How many of us do you think understand the concept of forgiveness pretty well? Well, you should do after last week anyway. Who finds it easy to forgive? None of us. And, and, and the promise and the power in what you're being taught over these last few weeks isn't in you just hearing it, it's in you doing it. So with emotions, actually, you can understand your emotions, but there is something we need to step into with them. When it comes to forgiveness, we can understand the concepts of forgiveness. We can even know how wonderfully we are forgiven are by our Heavenly Father, but there is something we've got to step into in forgiveness if we're going to reap the benefit of it. And what we're going to look at today is the whole area of renewing our minds now, you can go away really well informed about how you renew your mind, but the power comes in the, in the doing of it, in the putting it into practice. Now, I'm going to use the same passage that Andrew Bunt used a few weeks ago, Romans chapter 12. And you may find it helpful to re-listen to Andrew's, Andrew's preach from a few weeks ago. This is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Wonderful to sing songs to God, and uh, I, I love to do that personally, but worship goes beyond what happens in here on a Sunday. We know that, doesn't it? It's a lifestyle of worship. It's about being a living sacrifice. Jesus said, didn't he, to the first disciples, come follow me. And then later on in the Gospels, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. There is something about if we're to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you absolutely everything. You're going to feel a bit like a living sacrifice. You keep laying your life down because you're following Jesus. It's challenging. Then it says this, this is, this is in a sense how we follow him. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And do you remember, Andrew said a few weeks ago, that as Christians, we're no longer to be conformed, we're to be transformed. And we're conformed just by going with the flow of what's going on around us. But to be transformed takes an effort. We, 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 we need to think about it. We need to plan to do it if we're going to be transformed to be like Jesus. So we're going to look at this passage, just three very simple headings. The first one is ongoing transformation. The second one is how are we conformed? And thirdly, how are we transformed? And I do believe that even as I say so, I want to remind you again, this isn't just about me imparting information. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to take this meager contribution that I'm going to bring and he's going to shine light into your hearts. I really believe the Holy Spirit, God, wants to speak to you. And even if it's the first time you've ever been in this place, I believe God wants to speak to you because 
His word is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. So can I encourage you, be alert. Do the best you can to hear and understand. So ongoing transformation. Although as Christians, and I'm talking to Christians right now, although we live in this age, don't be conformed to it. Although you live in this world, don't be conformed to it. Why? Because we belong to another kingdom. We, be, we belong to an age that is fully yet to come. We are to be transformed to be like Jesus. When, when that word transformed is used in the Bible, it's the same root meaning, the same root as it is when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Now you imagine what it's like to be a caterpillar. You are shifting your way along a leaf and probably your whole life is maybe limited to one branch on a plant. Then you go into a cocoon, you come out your cocoon and you are this incredible butterfly and you think, is the butterfly the same as the caterpillar? But it's come from the same place and it can fly and it can move from different plants. The, the transformation is amazing and so it is in following Jesus. Our lives are not to be the same as they were before. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's how that transformation takes place. Our minds are changed. The battle is in our thinking. You know, what do we really believe to be true? It's a faith battle. And over the years, before we became a Christian, and even as Christians, if we're not careful, our, our thinking can be conditioned by the world around us. It can, be, it can be influenced by Satan. We have, we have a real enemy. We've heard about that earlier in this series. And so we've developed in, over the past a whole host of default beliefs and thought patterns that just don't line up with God's word. But when we became Christians, no one pressed a, 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 a delete button. I don't know if you ever thought about that. When we, when we came to know Jesus, no one pressed a delete button. We still think, you probably still think the same way as you did before you became a Christian. You have the same old default pro programming, same, same old ways of thinking, unless your mind is renewed. And this default thinking prevents you knowing and experiencing God and his ways in their fullness. It's a bit like an impenetrable wall, as it were, that's developed in our minds. Put your hand up if you know that God loves you. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, really put your hand, no, put your hand up if you really know that God loves you in here and it has an under-foundational sense of, of underpinning your life. That's pretty good, actually. That's pretty good. Because often we can know things intellectually, but when the rubber hits the road, when the chips are down, it doesn't always shine through in how we react, in how we respond, in our default patterns of thinking. Why? Because our minds haven't been renewed yet. Let me give you a personal example. And I feel a little bit vulnerable in doing this, but I hope it will bless you and, and, and illustrate what I'm trying to communicate about our need to um, renew our minds. I had a good upbringing. I had good parents. 
My mum and dad did a pretty good job, even if I don't do say so myself. But if you can put the, the school photo up, this is my year seven school photo. You see, my problem was I always looked very young for my age and I was always the shortest in the year group. So I don't know if you've worked out where I am in this photo yet. It's not the clearest. What do you reckon? Anyone want to shout where you think I am? On the end, far left? And I can remember before the year seven photo, really worried that I would have to sit with the girls. Where I really wanted to be was on the back row with those big boys, but I sort of came up to their waist. Have you noticed even the girls in front there sat down? I'm stood up in my high heels there. And, and right the way through my school life, in a sense, I, I was just, I was little, I looked young for my age. I hated it when people asked how old I was because whenever I said how old I was, no one ever believed me. And even when I was 17, I was still really, really short and I still looked really young for my age. When I, passed, when I passed my driving test, I used to drive around in a little red metro, Austin metro. And I could see all right, but everyone used to take a double take and wonder why a 13-year-old was driving a car. <laughs> and so this is the exact book that I had on my seat so that I just looked a little bit higher. <laughs> now, some of you who have been around a bit longer... We'll, we'll know that's how I look. That's how I was. I looked small for my age. I, I always looked young. I was quiet. I just wanted to blend into the background. And I hated being noticed. I hated to stand out. Where is all this going, you may be thinking? It affect, it's affected my adult life. So things that I learned then... The way I was conformed, the way I viewed myself, the way, if you go back a slide, just ongoing transformation still, thanks. That, that carried on. I learned lessons then that lived with me into my adult life. Smallness, lack of confidence, being massively shaped by what others think of me, and worried about their opinions, was like a false ceiling over me. It's one of the ways I was conformed to the world. And those thoughts are deep in there. They're not just there, they're deep in there. Now, it wasn't for any traumatic experience or anything like that. It was just over a period of time. But the gospel tells a different story about who I am, doesn't it? The gospel tells a different story of who I am. The moment I got born again, my past didn't disappear, but I now have a different story. I have to learn that story. My responsibility is to renew my mind and to understand who God has made me. I need to understand that I am loved by him. That is foundational, that the king of the universe loves this little guy. He does. 
I need to remember that God created me just as I am. Even if I would like to have been stood on the back row of that class photo, he knew what he was doing when he made me. That's true for you as well. That he's got plans and purposes for my life. That I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have authority because I am part of God's family. Now this is true for me, but it's also true for you. Now I can understand those things intellectually, but when the chips are down, when things are really struggling, when I'm facing opposition or difficulty, what shapes me more? The wonders of the gospel and who I now am in, who I now am in Christ, or, or is it this stuff I learned when I was a child and as a teenager as a way of coping and hiding in the background? So what about you? How have you been conformed? And it might feel so deep inside of you, so part of who you are, but it's contrary to what the Word of God says. The Bible doesn't say that about you. God doesn't say that about you. So why are you still living as though that's true? How can it be even as a pastor that sometimes some of that still as default thinking seeps into how I respond to situations? How can that be? Be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind. And if you're not careful, these patterns of thinking can just become ingrained in identity. It's just like they, there's so much a default way of reacting that we, 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 we don't even realise we're doing it. They can become strongholds like a fortress or a castle in the middle of our lives, right in the middle of our being, that, that we can't change, that we find really difficult to change. Feelings of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy. They should not be dominating features of your life. They do not need to be. There is hope in the gospel. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. Why? Because the battle is in our minds. It's in our thinking. It's in our understanding of who God is, what he has done, and what he has done for me. This is, this is foundational if we're going to grow in maturity. How are you conformed? In some situations, do you just have over, overwhelming feelings of powerlessness? Would you sh say that one of your fundamental sort of default things is, I feel ashamed? Maybe you feel rejected or dirty. This is not, this is not part of your DNA as a Christian. It isn't. And I, I want to say that with... with uh, I don't want to say it glibly because I know how much these things can feel like they're just part of who I am, but they're not in Christ. They aren't. And even if you can't, in, in one sense, believe it for yourself, believe me, believe what I am saying. Boy, and I'm not saying it on my own authority. I'm saying it because the Word of God says it. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds by the renewing of how you think. 
So how are we conformed? I'm going to fly through this quite quickly. I've already touched on quite a bit of this, but firstly, we are conformed by the culture that we grow up in. Andrew spent quite a lot of time talking about that. The culture we live in has certain views, it has certain values, it has certain ways of thinking, and we just get conformed to it because as we grow up, we watch the media, we listen to those around us, it, it just conforms us to that pattern of thinking. If, if you'd grown up in Ghana like Sam did, you would actually have a, a different default set of thinkings because, because there would be a different worldview there. There's a different culture there that he grew up in. Now, some of those things are going to be really, really good. Others of them are bad. But we need to be able to understand. We need to see what culture we've grown up in. But there are other things closer to home that conform us to the pattern of this world. I've already touched on it. Even the school you grew up in went to, the family situation, what your parents were like. And we don't, none of us had perfect parents. None of us did. You know, I certainly realized that with four boys. I've come to the conclusion perfect parents don't exist. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I'm off the hook. But, 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 but closer to home, our immediate environment affects us. That, that's one of the ways we get conformed to the world and what's going on around us. Another way we can be conformed, and again, I've touched on this briefly already, sometimes traumatic experiences can have that effect. It's not always the same things happening time after time, day after day. You can go for a really difficult, ugly, awful experience, and it can scar you. It can leave something on the inside. And maybe you can even look back to your past, certain things that have happened, and you think, I know I changed after that. Even maybe those words, you've said them yourself. Maybe a serious illness, a divorce, the death of someone that you, you loved very much, abuse in your life, those things, those traumas can, as it were, leave strongholds in our thinking. How we view ourselves, how we view other people, how we view God, but, it's, but, it's, but it doesn't line up with what God says about you. He has a different story for you. He doesn't wipe out what happens in the past. He doesn't belittle it, but he doesn't want you to be controlled by it anymore. And giving in to temptation. Another way that we are conformed to the pattern of this world is when we give in to temptation. When we choose to go our own way rather than the way that's revealed in the Bible. What Jesus says is good and life-giving. Come on, we know how it works, don't we? If we give in to temptation, it quickly leads to action. Action leads to a habit. Habit leads to a lifestyle and we suddenly find, how on earth did I get here? Sin destroys and the devil wants to destroy us. And if he can trip us up, he will. But the Bible is clear that with every temptation, God makes a way out of it. We don't have to go that way. You don't have to go that way. You have a choice to choose life, to choose what Jesus says is good and life-giving. So giving in to temptation is another way that we are conformed to this world. Oh, there's that butterfly I was talking about. If you drive a truck over a muddy field, a really wet field, if you drive a truck over a wet field, just the first time you do it, you'll probably see the tyre tracks in there. 
If you take the same journey day after day after day, in the end those tracks become ruts. You won't even need to steer. The truck will just go across the field. That's the way it's got used to going because of the ruts. Our lives can be like that. If we have unhelpful patterns of thinking, if we give in to temptation time after time after time, they're like ruts that we just go that way. Something happens and without even you consciously deciding, that's the way you're going. Something goes wrong and anger spills out. Why? Because you are caught in that rut. Someone says negative, something negative to you and your thoughts spiral into the fact I'm useless and I'm worthless and I cannot get anything right. It's because you've got these ruts in your inner being, as it were, that take you down this pattern of thinking that is destructive. The devil loves it, but, 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 but God wants that to change. And unless you intentionally steer the truck out of those ruts, unless you intentionally decide by the grace of God, with the help of others in the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to get out of those ruts, you will keep going down the same path time after time after time. And we can all do it. And if we're not careful, our lives become conformed either to what is in the end just lies, or half-truths, which are even, even more difficult to spot, or, or just we live life without God in the picture. We, we sort of take God out of our circumstances and try and find a way through on our own. That's, that's how we get conformed to the world. So how are we transformed? What does it look like to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? The moment we turn to Jesus, we are born again. We are new creations. But, but, but God doesn't expect us to be instantly mature. Babies start on milk and they develop onto solids. For us as Christians, if we're to grow in maturity, we need to stop being conformed and we need to start being transformed. Well done, Tom. So how are we transformed? First way, we need to recognise the lies that we've believed. Andrew said that a few weeks ago. What lies are you believing? Now that's not always easy to spot. Maybe what, what reactions in given situations do you think, now this is not right? So understanding what lies are you believing is, is absolutely important. The second thing we need to do, which is really important as well, is we need to close doors open to the enemy. The truth is, because of how we've lived life, all of us will have different weak spots, as it were, and Satan knows what they are. And at times, we just need to do business with God. Now, this preach series is based on the discipleship course by Freedom in Christ. If we'd been doing the discipleship course properly, we would have done, before this week, something called the Steps to Freedom. And there's an opportunity for us just to sit down and have a bit of a sort out of our lives, we, we, can, we can look at the whole area of forgiveness. We look at the whole area of repentance. We look at the whole area of where maybe we've left open doors to the enemy. And we can deal with them. We deal with them by confessing sin. We deal with them by repenting, by proclaiming truth. And as we take authority for our own lives, do you know what happens? We get free. And the, the doors that the enemy has got into our lives, they get closed. And in an afternoon, it's amazing how much stuff can get done if we're willing just to do what the Bible says. Now, you can sit here and you can listen to me preaching this stuff, and it will do you some value. 
But the truth is, if we really want to experience what the gospel says, we have to step into it. And there are moments when we just have to deal with the muck that's built up in our lives, because we've all got it there in different areas. For me, I can remember an instance a few years ago where I was just getting caught in self-pity. Self-pity is an ugly thing, isn't it? It's, it's an ugly thing. And I realised, and I needed someone else's help just to help me a bit, and we, we spoke about it, we chatted about it, and then we prayed about it, but I did the work. I needed to repent of it. I needed to ask for Jesus' forgiveness for it. I need to proclaim truth about what God has done for me, and I needed to believe it. And then I needed to step in the good of it on a daily basis to make sure that I didn't fall back into those ruts again. Do you know what I mean? But I had to do business with God. And the steps to freedom are one of the ways that that can happen. But we need to make sure that we close the door to the enemy's work in our lives. Thirdly, we need to take personal responsibility for the whole of our lives. I think sometimes we can feel like we can do nothing about it. But that is not the case. It may feel very strong. It may feel like that fortress in the middle of your life that needs to come down is just so big and strong. You think, I can never tear that down. But you can because you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Because there is no Christian that is in a hopeless situation. You just can't be. Because the Bible says that 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 is the case. If you're a Christian, you have hope. John spoke about forgiveness last week. No one else can forgive for you. Only you can do it. No one else can step into the freedom the gospel brings for you. Only you can do it. You need to take personal responsibility for your life. There's a bit of a list here, but hopefully these things are helpful. Next, we need to learn how to take every thought captive. I don't know about you, but the sooner I spot negative thoughts and think I'm not going to listen to them, the better off I am. You need to think of your mind a bit like an airport and you are the air traffic controller. A thought asks for permission to land. You've got to discern quickly, is this a good, helpful thought that that comes from the Holy Spirit or comes from a godly friend that I want to land or is this from the enemy or is this this negative thinking? If it's negative thinking, I'm not going to let it land. I'm not going to dwell. Because I notice that if I let that aeroplane of negative thinking land, do you know what? There'd be another five following it straight after. One after the other. And I can find particularly early in the morning, I've been awake by half an hour and I'm absolutely fed up. I haven't seen anyone. I, I, I won't have done anything except spent time with God. Maybe I'll have done that. I've got a cup of tea or something. I can't sound very godly, don't I? Anyway, but, but, or I might have had a cup of tea or something like that. But, but I, can all, I can near enough immediately feel negative and flat. And I'm thinking, where on earth has that come from? I've just woken up. I've let a whole number of thoughts just land. Next, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You were given a handout on the way in. Please take this home. Please read it. This is just a helpful pattern. It's not the only way of doing it, but it is a helpful pattern, a helpful illustration of how we can demolish strongholds in our thinking. And you'll notice that, that there's a bit of a plan in there. Follow it. Get stuck into it. Um, there's some examples of ones there, but you can write your own one as well. And then lastly, I think it is commit to the long term. If, if you've been cohabiting with negative thinking, the lies of the enemy, 
un, 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 stuff that's not true, if you've been cohabiting with that stuff for a long, long time, don't be surprised if it takes a long time or quite a long time to sort it out. This sort of demolishing stronghold stuff, they recommend you do it for 40 days because to create a new habit, psychologists reckon, takes about 40 days. And so doing this daily, day after day, declaring the truth out loud, praying prayers out loud, loud, grabbing hold of it, not even just once a day, sometimes many times in a day. Do you know what happens though? You suddenly find your thinking starts to change. You start to see that you're seeing the world differently to how you did before. But we need to commit to the long term. I I, I really do believe that what we've been preaching and teaching over the last seven, eight weeks, if you grab hold of it, is life-changing because the gospel is. And all of us will have different areas in our lives that they're just not conformed, they're not conformed, they're not transformed to be what Jesus wants. This isn't to make you feel bad. This is, I I, want to offer hope. Even if you've been living with it for a really long time, there there is a way of change. And although we cannot change our past and we cannot change the things that have happened to us, with God's help, we can get free from them. Although we cannot change the past and what has happened to us, With God's help, we can get free from it. And if you hear nothing else, hear that. You can get free from it. I'm now going to show you a video. Our Wales reading out a testimony of a lady that was in real, real difficulty, but she got free. And I want you to hear this testimony because I believe even as it's spoken out, I believe faith can come. This is Steve's story of the first time he met Rachel. She was the epitome of a Christian who'd lost all hope. She was covered in bandages from injuries that she'd inflicted on herself. She had difficulty stringing two sentences together because of drug abuse. She'd suffered from eating disorders for years. In fact, it's a miracle she was alive at all. She had just been thrown out of a psychiatric hospital, a self-harm unit, for a week because she had self-harmed. A local church took her in and wanted to work through this course and the steps to freedom with her. At their request, I was present when she went through the steps. At the end, her face had completely changed. She'd done real business with God and she broke into a beautiful smile and said, I'm free. But is that the end of the story? You see, it's a relatively straightforward process to take hold of your freedom, but staying free is another question. I was keeping an ear open for faulty beliefs, lies that she believed. So at the end, I said to her, it's great that you're free. Now it's important to ensure you stay free. And to do that, it's important to work out what lies you've been believing and take steps to renew your mind. It seems to me that the main thing you need to work on is the lie that you're dirty. The big smile instantly vanished and she looked at me in anger and said, that's not right at all. It's just that you seem to have mentioned feeling dirty a lot, especially in the forgiveness step. Yes, she said, I am dirty. It's not a lie. Past abuse had taught Rachel to see herself and her body as dirty. Her subsequent Anorexia, self-harm and addictions were simply ways she used to try to cope with 
blot out those negative feelings. Although by going through the steps process she'd kicked the enemy out of her life and she was free, if she'd been left at that point still believing the lie that she was dirty, what would have happened? She would almost certainly have spiralled back down into her former coping mechanisms because the pain of feeling dirty would still be there. I got her to look at some Bible verses such as John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And 1 Corinthians 6.11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Then I said to Rachel, so what are you going to choose to believe? What your past experiences are telling you or what God says about you? She was quiet for a long time and then she said, I suppose what God says. The next time they saw her at the hospital was a couple of months later when she walked in dressed in her nurse's uniform, having been able to resume the career that she'd had to give up. When she said hi, she looked so different, no one had any idea who she was. She had been transformed through the renewing of her mind.